Welcome to the Pineapple Couch with B-Rob, episode 22. I am your host, B-Rob, and today we have a very, very special episode because not only am I joined by our resi- one of our resident NBA insiders, Alex Cantor, we are also joined by, the, for the first time ever, a great friend of the podcast is Michael Frank. He's a, uh, you're a, is it fair to call you a movie critic, Michael? That's fair. That's fair. And he's doing very well. Um, and we are thrilled to have him on today, not to talk about movies, but we may do that another time, but to talk about an idea that our good friend Alex Cantor came up with. And Alex, without further ado, why don't you explain this to the listeners, what we want to do today? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, like all of us, you know, I think that we're craving sports in some fashion or another. And, you know, for the last two weeks or so, you know, each time I turn on ESPN, it feels very much there is this nostalgia towards past sports, um, which is good. It keeps us entertained. Um, I think for a lot of us, it reminds us of like really awesome sporting events. I know Brian and I were talking earlier about how just today they were playing the 2005 Masters that Tiger wins. Um, And I'm sure we all know that for his putt. But I mean, there's just so much cool sports and and a lot of it is such a such a retrospective. Um, So I thought it would be an interesting thing to say, Okay, you know, we're in year 2020 right now. And within the basketball world, you know, so much has changed since 2010. And, you know, we can spend forever going back and comparing those two eras and what that game looks like. And we'll definitely be doing that today. Um, But I definitely want to focus on what is the NBA going to look like in 2030? You know, when, when we're sitting down to watch basketball 10 years from now, what type of game are we going to be watching? Um, you know, what, what, uh, what are the players going to be like? What is the style going to be like? I mean, there's so many variables here that we can touch on, and we're, and we're going to go across all of that today. Um, so really the podcast is going to be, you know, one, what are the biggest differences that we've all seen um, since 2010? Uh, till today and then moving forward from 2020 to 2030. Um, and I think just to give a quick overview, like I'm just going to give a couple things because as, as we first go back, we'll go to 2010. And for the listeners, that's going to be specifically the 2009 to 2010 season. And then we're going to be looking at the 2019 to 2020. And though it is not a complete season, I think that at 65 games when it comes to player statistics – um, we can still make a pretty legitimate um, opinion based on the data there. Like, yes, we don't have a champion, but I think we all can kind of assume who the MVP mm-hmm. is going to be. So I don't think there's that many open mm-hmm. items left in that season. So first of all, let's go back yeah. to let's go back to that first season. So I'm just going to have a couple quick statistics just to kind of paint the picture of where we're going to start here. Okay, so league champion Los Angeles Lakers. Um, the MVP was LeBron. Twenty. 29, 7, and 8. Rookie of the year. I This gave me a solid chuckle. I'm sure you guys <laughs> got that as well. Um, was Tyreek Evans. Kings legend. Shout out to the Kings. Yep. Uh, 25 and 5, which is legit. Um, almost seems he like... Was, he was electric. Wait, 25 oh, and 5? You look at Jaw Morant's numbers. Jaw was putting up, what, like 18, 3, and 8 when the season ended. So, something to think about. Uh, points per game, KD at 30. Rebounds per game, Dwight at 13. Assists per game, Steve Nash at 11. Um, and then I included this win share, LeBron at 18. So he was still dominating back then. So anyways, 
that's where we're, we're going to start here in 2010. So I'll kind of open it up to the floor here. Um, let's kind of talk about that era. Let's talk about, you know, before we make any comparisons to 2020, kind of what we all remember um, about the style of game and what was going on at that time. Um, I think so. Looking back on that season, I don't know why. I just think this might be something for our age group. I remember this so vividly. This was like the prime of my youth sporting fandom, if that makes mm. sense. Just this era, I believe. I mean, I was a maybe a freshman in high school, maybe in eighth grade. But um, I remember this era very fondly. And I think that reflected in the all-time teams we did um, just this past week on the Pineapple Couch because I had Duncan, Nash, and Kobe, Garnett, all those guys because that was something. I was very fond of all those players growing up. And so I have a little towards little bit of bias towards that but this this season what really stood out to me when like Alex presented this question was when you think about the finals it's the Lakers and the Celtics the Lakers are starting two seven footers Pau Gasol and Andrew Bynum the Celtics are starting two seven footers Kevin Garnett and Kendrick Perkins Kendrick Perkins got hurt in that series but nevertheless they still were starting two seven footers and that just jumped out of me of something that could probably never happen today so i'm not going to get too far into like the like how that couldn't happen today but i just like don't you guys think that that's just kind of wild to think about like how fast it's changed i mean i think i think you're definitely right brian but it's actually funny the the thing that jumped out at me was the western conference finals so i was looking back at steve nash who's one of my favorite players of all time and someone who i idolized growing up and it looked like this was probably the last year that he could have made the finals and, and won the finals. You know, so I was looking back at that Western Conference series between Suns and Lakers, and that ended up being 4-2, but it was 2-2 in the middle of the series, and that Game 5, actually, the, the game winner was a Ron Artest, like, put-back layup in which Kobe airballed the the possible game winner and so i I was looking back and nash had a broken nose and his eye was all cut up and and all the regular nash injuries were going on but it's beat up (laughs) but it it felt like when i was i was kind of looking at some clips and this was the last year where nash really looked like okay here's a superstar player that can lead a team to a title or at least lead a team close to a title Mm-hmm. And what's um, just to counter off that, or to not to counter, to add on to that, what I thought was funny was where Mike, you're talking about Steve Nash and how it was his last year. And it was really his last shot at the title. Um, obviously, he had a lot better shots, probably around the 06 07 range. But, yeah. and then Alex mentioned who led the league in rebounds. This was Dwight Howard. And then we're talking about the team who won the finals this year is the Lakers. And those two guys go to the Lakers. I think it's. Well, just one year. Yeah, the next season, this happens. And that obviously went so poorly. Um, I had one stat I wanted to um, throw at you guys about what stood out to me, another thing that stood out to me from this season. So only two teams in the entire NBA in the 2009-2010 season shot more than 25 threes a game. It was the Magic and the Knicks. And so it's cool to see because the Magic were definitely like – along with the Suns teams, like kind of like on the cutting edge of this small ball pace and space type league. 
and they were shooting about 27.23s per game. If that 2009-2010 Magic team was in the NBA this year, they would be last. They would be the least amount of three shot. Every single team in the league shoots more than 27 and a half threes a game now. And that's just really like the biggest thing that's changed is just the acceptance, I want to say, kind of, because how important um, the three has become today's game. Well, I mean, right? Isn't that probably the biggest thing to you guys? Yeah, and I think the crazy part is when you look at, I mean, cause what we're looking at is like the high end of the 2010s, right? But if we look at that low end, right? So you have the Memphis Grizzlies. Who, I mean, we all remember as, you know, really slow half-court offense. You're running it through your big guys of Marcus and Zebo, and they're shooting, on average, 11 three-pointers a game. Which, I mean, it really feels like almost unfathomable, considering Trey Young is probably shooting 35 three-pointers a game nowadays. Right, so like and giving up thirty-five three-pointers as well. <laughs> That's right. Easy, <laughs> easy. I mean, and, and I think both That's of right. us. I think both of us, when we say these numbers, are saying it quite conservatively. But mm-hmm. point being, I mean, yeah, I think the three-point is like such an easy thing to point to here. I mean, it's 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 such a massive change, but it's it's amazing the 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 speed in which this happened. Right. So when we think about you know who really set off this three-point revolution. Um, I would assume all of us would point to the Golden State Warriors as, as that team that's going to play a little bit smaller ball. They're going to be rotating the ball a lot more. And because of that, and with the coaching style and obviously the talent that they had. But if you really think about it, like the Warriors didn't really start that as a significant trend until 2014. So, like, this whole three-point revolution really Steve only Kerr. started six years ago. So, it's not even like we're saying, yeah. oh, back in t- 2009, we started to see this upward tick in three-pointers. It's like, yes, you did. But the style of game and what we point to as the biggest change really didn't start to start in 2014, which means that, like, theoretically speaking, other teams probably weren't convinced that it was a winnable format until late 2015, early 2016, after the Warriors actually win a championship. Exactly. That was Charles Barkley, Charles Barkley's whole thing about how jump shooting teams can't win a championship. Mm -hmm. And I think what's um, interesting, because I do think like, so the Warriors are really thought on the forefront of this amount of threes, but that the origin of that is really those uh, D'Antoni Suns teams. (laughs) That's right. And, and um, obviously they aren't shooting anywhere near the number of threes, but I mean, it was just slowly building and, that's what Steve Kerr was the general manager for that Suns team. And then when he comes to Golden State, they were really able to go all in on that three-point strategy, which was a risk because I guess they just weren't sure how it would go. But the reason the Warriors were able to do it so well and really be thought of as the leaders of it and go all on in is because it's just like an unprecedented level of talent on one team of Clay and Steph, of pairing those two shooters with the mindset of a guy who was on the forefront with the Suns, it's just kind of like, it's just really lucky in a way of just that combination. And it that's what it took to convince the league. So like this strategy, we had seen it be successfully, but it literally took 
the two best shooters maybe the world's ever seen to convince the league that this is a winnable strategy. And now we see a lot of teams doing it very well, and they don't have Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. So, um, and I, just one last stat I wanted to add onto this is um, with the addition of the three pointer into the NBA over the last ten years. So compared to 2010, teams score about seven to ten more points a game now. And they take about six to eight more shots. So the pace has gone up. The threes have gone up. Um, and it's just, it's hard to like put it into words. I think I can speak for all of us of just how drastic the difference is. Because I was watching a 2010 Lakers game actually yesterday. And you're looking at the fourth quarter. It's with a minute 15 left. It's 86 to 79. Yeah. Or even lower sometimes. And that's not happening anymore. So... Um, yeah, uh, I'll leave it to you guys, but that just really, uh, it's wild. Yeah. I mean, Brian, you hit on that pace of play that, that was by far the biggest stat that I was looking at that, that jumped out at me. I mean, so I was looking at the pace of play from, you know, the top five, uh, in 2010 versus in 2020. And now the majority of teams are having over a hundred possessions per game where in 2010, uh, you know, I mean, six out of the playoff teams are scoring under 95 points a game. No way. No shit. That's, fu- that, that's exactly right. I probably one of, fucking crazy. One of, one of the playoff teams, the Charlotte Bobcats, uh, a team <laughs> that we all <laughs> know and love, uh, they were averaging uh, close to... Yep, that's 95 points, and they were the seventh seed. They weren't even the eighth seed in the East. Where in terms of just teams scoring and, and teams having possessions, the the hundred point barrier mark, you know, has only become I think something that teams just hit over and over again from 2015 on. You know, I think before then, it was a lot more uh, defensive stoppers, a lot more low grinding games like you were talking about 87 89 87 91 you know and all these all these games that really put in perspective what it looks like now when you see teams scoring 145 to 139 yeah and people are stubborn i think we can all agree on that and that also applies very much so to sports so literally i just want to say i just think this is really important because it's like it literally took the most freakish like combination of shooters you could possibly imagine to convince people of this new style even though there was a lot of analytics out there telling you it was a good idea yeah that's really true but i mean i think it's really interesting i mean like you look at teams that have copied that style um but it, it, i think it really comes down so much and i think we'll get into this later too but like it, it really comes down to efficiency at that style like, just because you can shoot a lot of threes does not mean that you will yep. win shooting a lot of threes. And I think the dichotomy between what the Warriors did and the style of basketball and the players that they used, when you compare that, obviously, then to, like, the easiest comparison to be the Houston Rockets, right? Where it's the 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 clip that they're shooting at is so high, um, but obviously they don't have that same win total. So, I know there's a lot the of different Houston things. Houston Rockets are the thirst trap of NBA teams. <laughs> No, you're, it's you're like totally. They right. know how to get Instagram <laughs> likes really easily, and they do that. But what does it really mean? Sorry, yeah. Alex. I just, no, it's okay. I to... And I, and I'm and I'm sure we're going to talk about some of the key Rockets players actually coming up here right now because that's going to lead us into the next thing. And 
You know, I think so to summarize, right? So we're talking about pace of play, we're talking about three pointers. Um we're talking about how you know, it, it still is just shocking to me, you know, like this this three point revolution has really come on and now it's like fully in fruition yet in 2010, like, even when you're watching the game, it's not even like you feel like, you're like, oh, you have Ray Allen, but he is just Ray Allen. He's not a trend. He's just himself. So mm-hmm. when we get down to that player-specific level, right, um, you know, I think we all kind of went through this mental exercise earlier today, which was really to say, okay, in the course of from 2010 to 2020, who are the, who are the top five most impactful players, right? And mm-hmm. You know, there's been a lot of articles released on this exact topic as we got to 2020. So, you know, we're not the first people to do this, but we're going to kind of allow this to lead us into, you know, when we move to the future. So what I'm going to do is we all have five, but I'm going to go through the first four because like we've all talked about, um, it's essentially this. These four are going to be locks across anybody's ballot. I mean, I, I can't imagine anybody would have anything different. I, can't, I don't understand how it could. Th- these four could not be. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I could definitely get into the details of the order, but we're not going to do that right now because that's just going to get us into the details and we don't need to be there right now. So it's mm-hmm. going to be LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Steph Curry, and Kevin Durant. I think that's that's a pretty yeah. standard list. Um so I think well, those are the four best players in the NBA over fifth. the last ten years by far. Yeah, sorry, um, so yeah. Well, uh, who do you? Um, I oh, just think me. that those are the four best players in the NBA over the last ten years and influential, just by far. Those four, I feel like we talked earlier about Nash, Duncan, Kobe, Garnett. We're gonna look back so fondly on that group of four, but the fifth spot is wide open. So, uh, do you want to start? Yeah, I can, I can start it off, and I think you guys probably all hit this barrier. I mean, I definitely did. But, like, when I'm looking at this four, because, like, obviously when you look at some of the biggest things that a player can do over the course of a decade, it's win a championship, right? But the insane yes. part yeah. is when you get past these four and you start looking at these other players, they're not winning championships. Zero championships. On the next five players I have, zero championships. And and it's not like the, the teams that won championships – have like a clear second guy that could be included here. Like we're not. I'm assuming none of us have included Kyrie. Wait, 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 wait. I have just <laughs> no. I want to say something. I have not included Kyrie, but let just the parameters for this. These have been the top, not just the top five best players. It has been the best and most impactful. Like Correct. they the impact that they've had not only on their teams but the game how it's evolved right is that correct and I think so much okay. of that is going to be is going to be years from now when we're looking back on this decade what comes to mind it's, it's okay. a yeah. little bit how I went through it right yeah I I'm on the same page so there's a couple yep, players I've been bouncing around with and statistically speaking right you probably could slip James Harden into this fifth spot I think pretty easily um, but I actually went with his teammate here. And I went with Russell Westbrook as that fifth player. Um, I think that when we look back on a guy who just statistically speaking had an incredible decade, I think, you know, the first player to really start averaging triple doubles again in what has Mm -hmm. been the only other player, unless we see Luca start doing that at a consistent rate. But when we start talking about Luca, which I'm sure we will, when we go into the next thing, a lot of us are going to say that because of the statistics he's putting up, right? Um, but also, when I think of what Russell Russell Westbrook did in that first era 
OKC team where at that time he was the second best player behind Kevin Durant. And then once Kevin Durant or once James Harden leaves, it's really that Westbrook Durant trio or duo like leading OKC to these crazy series. And he has just been a player that has been at that same incredibly high level from from 2009 to 2020. I mean, he's still doing it with the Rockets. And now is probably arguably the best player on that Houston Rockets team. So that that's actually going to be my fifth. So there you go. Okay, I um, I like that. I um, for me, what this really came down to, and I don't know if this is dumb. It's like if I were to tell my kids in the future, and however fucking long that will be, God knows, um, about about what happened in the NBA through 2010 through 2020, would I be able to tell the story of the NBA? without a certain person and for the most part those four players we have at the top that's pretty much every single title that we get in this era besides the Mavs in 11 and Kobe in the Lakers in um, 2010 so I kind of went with an uh, an odd choice for my fifth but I really like people are gonna might hate me for this but I really think that you can't tell the story of this decade without this person it's not the overwhelming stats but it's really the impact and the way his play has changed the game my fifth spot's Draymond Green. Draymond Green has allowed the small ball era to develop because you can trust a smaller big that you don't really need to have these gargantuan seven-footers out there that can't space the floor. Draymond's able to switch on screens, which has shown in... Okay, think about this. A guy like Rudy Gobert. I still don't understand how he wins Defensive Player of the Year because he can't switch on screens because his feet aren't fast enough. Draymond Green has given a reason for people like P.J. Tucker to live. And he's not the fifth best player of this decade. I'm not saying that. But the impact that he's had and the amount of teams you've seen try to replicate what he has been, I, I love Draymond in this spot. I think um, I think he gets a lot of disrespect because he talks so much shit. And I get it. If he wasn't – I'm a Warriors fan. And if he wasn't on my team, I probably wouldn't like watching him talk shit to me. But you can't deny what he brought to the best team of this decade and just the stylistic changes – Draymond Green being inserted into the starting lineup is what made the Warriors the Warriors. Yeah, and when you think about or it, David I Lee. mean, when you think about it, the best, the best season, not of the decade, the best overall win season ever in the National Basketball Association, Draymond Green was at the core of, right? And, um, I mean, obviously when you go through the Warriors, it's like, okay, they wouldn't have done that without Steph Curry. Okay, yeah. They wouldn't have done it without Klay Thompson. Yeah. But it really is Draymond. That is, that is the glue. So... I think that's a really good pick. I think that's really interesting. And I think I think as we go about this moving into the 2010s or moving into the 2020s, I think what you're going to see is a lot of players like Draymond, but that are going to be more of an offensive threat. And I'm, I'm sure we're going to get to that later. Yeah, but yeah it's, definitely. That's a, that's a really and Draymond played in four. Draymond played in five finals of this decade. He is a part of that story. And it's like, I like the Westbrook pick. And I like because he but Westbrook unlike Harden, who you mentioned earlier, was played in the finals this decade. Harden, it's like, you could kind of tell the story of twenty of the NBAs in the 2010 to 2020 f- focusing on Steph, LeBron, Kawhi, KD, and Harden. Yeah, his numbers are there, but 
I've never felt threatened by James Harden in the playoffs. We all I know. disagree. This is such a heavy disagree. I can. Listen, uh, you've I been mean, shaking your I, head for like five minutes. Just, I, 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 I just don't Michael, understand this. A neck injury after this, but also I just don't understand I already, this. I have a feeling I already know what Michael's gonna pick, so you can just go ahead, Michael, and I can be sad about it. So go this, is he really gonna pick this guy? Yeah, he's gonna There's pick. I mean, he's gonna. He's I mean, to. I can already see. It. He's probably got a poster. On first of all, across the wall that we can't see. First of all, first of all. Would Draymond Green exist without Ron Artest? That is the first question. Yes, Dennis I was, Rodman exists. I was okay. So would Draymond Green exist without Dennis Rodman? Would Kobe Bryant be there without Michael Jordan? Yeah, I don't would, know what I don't know what this is. Like, where are we going? All I'm saying, all would, I'm saying, would, is that I think Ron Artest was the archetype that Draymond Green fit the mold of. That's all I'm saying. I but think he that doesn't go into the crowd and punch people. him. Okay, also, let's no, let's no, make no, that no, distinction. No, 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 no. Let's be very <laughs> well, of course let's he doesn't. Ron Artest, <laughs> no, Ron Artest was not running point on an offense. That's what sets us apart. Ron Artest was not yeah. running point. Yeah, also, Ron Artest, Ron Artest didn't have Steph Curry. He didn't have Klay Thompson. He could just shuffle the ball he to to Kobe. shoot 35-footers. He didn't Kobe. have that. He had Kobe fucking Bryant. Well, and that is incredible as well. And, and that is great. But yeah. Kobe was not shooting 35-footers. That, that's just, he was, he was not. He was putting up 30 a game. I just think it's a lot easier to run point when you have two of the best shooters of all time, maybe the best backcourt of all time, probably the best, at least the best shooting backcourt, backcourt of all time. And that leaves centers, power forwards, all these other people open. That's all I'm saying in terms of Draymond Green. It's a fine pick. Thank it's you. a fine pick. I have to pick someone who I do not like. Oh, I do I not. I'm not coming. saying I like I him. I'm not saying I like him. But when we look back at a trade that I believe has helped define this decade of basketball, I got to go with the fifth person it is James Harden. Because of the trade or because of his play? I would say a combination of both. No, I, I get your point. Go on. I think that, I mean, number one, the trade literally decided multiple championships in this decade. That trade and game six of the Warriors Thunder Western Conference Finals are like the two biggest like chain reactions I completely of this agree. decade. I completely agree. I mean, like, I just think that, and I know that the trade has been talked about so much, but... In terms of people that are really key to this decade of basketball, James Harden's trade to Houston, and, and, and more importantly, him getting away from Kevin Durant, is massively important to, I would say, probably at least five years of finals in this 10-year span. And so then if you add on top of his scoring and just his isolation basketball that has helped, I think show people like Trey Young the, the possibilities of isolation basketball. <laughs> I think that it is influencing years and years of younger players that are going to be coming into the league, yeah, like Trey Young, I who, who I still like as a player. But I'm just saying he's, he's someone that is going to be putting up over 20 shots a game for the next five years. Easy. Mm-hmm. Um, really quickly, to count to, to add on to that, Something like when we get into what we think we're going to see in 2030, the way James Harden gets to the free throw line, I think will be very influential. I completely agree. And I think that, that. I, I think that the way that he plays, though 
and and personally, I don't like to watch James Harden draw fouls and and take thirty five footers. You know, like that. That's not something that I enjoy watching. Mm-hmm. But he is changing the way that basketball is being played, especially in a small ball era of of a single superstar. You know, he's a single superstar that has a supporting cast that's been built only for him. You know, it's been built just for him, regardless of what you think of what Russell Westbrook. Like, I, I think that that will go on for the next 10 years where people will start to build around a single player more and more and more. So they're building around Zion. They're building around Trey Young. The Hawks are already doing it. Uh, the Suns might think- try to build around Booker. That's exactly right, and I think actually Harden is one of the pillars of that. Yeah, yeah. I think, well, I think oh. just to add to that, um, and I think actually to play a little devil's advocate here, is that <laughs> when, when I look at, at Harden's style of basketball, um, it feels so singular to me. Like, when, when I think about that style of a step, like consistent step-back three-pointers, getting to the line on these drives all the time. Like, no one else is really doing that. Lack of movement. Lack of, like, like when you when you say Trey Young is the example, like, I don't, when I see Trey Young play, like, I don't think James Harden under any circumstance, right? Like, I think, I think of guys like Lillard and Stephen Curry and, like, tr- more true point guards that are, like, shooting the basketball Kemba. at a much, yeah, and Kemba, who are shooting the basketball at a much higher rate, but are point guards, like, so, so I, I do understand what you're coming from, but I, but I will say that I think that his game is so specific and so singular that, like, I, I just don't know if it'll become a trend because I don't think anybody can do it. I know, but it, are we looking at the eye test or are we looking at what the stats say? You know, because if we're looking at the Combo. straight assist numbers, straight assist numbers, Harden and Trey or, Kem- or whatever are comparable. You know, like he, he's getting the assists. It's it's not that he's not dishing out the basketball. He's just shooting it at a higher talking, clip than we've seen in the past. Play. I'm talking about style of play. Like usage. Yeah, I'm talking about style of play. Like, like. And I understand that, but I, I think that it still is is the style of play where we're running through one person. You know, and I think it is to a, a higher extent with James Harden. Mm-hmm. You know, so James Harden, they're running through him consistently and constantly. But teams like the Atlanta Hawks, like I, I don't see them dishing it out to, to John Collins and saying, hey, create something, you know, more than five to ten times a game. It's Trey Young in pick and roll, just like James Harden, making things happen for the rest of the team. Yeah, and um, while I, th- like, I think that's what a big question the NBA is, will face and has been facing, it's like the question of like, numbers versus like like actual human instinct so like yeah if i'm the rockets james harden if he does this certain pick and roll or step back three or try to go to the line when he has the ball i have a higher percentage to score but that doesn't take into account what it feels like to play on james harden's team and just stand there for a while and this isn't really like james harden's been very impactful i'm not really disagreeing with that i'm just more like saying like for the future, I know a lot of teams are going to try to emulate this style, and I just don't think that works because, one, we've seen a guy like Harden and Westbrook tire out in playoffs with that type of style, and I think a, an interesting thing to think about is, like, imagine if we'll use the top four guys. If Curry, Kawhi, KD, and LeBron had James Harden's usage, 
I think all their numbers would be better. And that's not like I still I, I I had Draymond at five, but I totally understand James Harden. I just think that um, the just relying on the the stats like the Rockets have gone so all in on, it kind of takes out like how it feels to play with someone when you play basketball who is going to dribble in between his legs for the first 16 seconds of the shot clock and then shoot a pop-up three. Or once in a while, you'll get a pass and just have to shoot it with two seconds left on the shot clock. And um, that's just why I don't like watching him too. So maybe that's just a little bias. But uh, yeah, Alex, yeah, and I, take and, I, and I think what, you know, and I think we're kind of leading ourselves into this also is, is like, well, what are those trends going to be? Right. And I, and I, and obviously, like what we're about to do is going to be a lot of speculation. Um, there's there's trends I think that we can all start to see, but like when when you watch, like I mean, I was watching two nights ago. I was watching the Game Seven, 2013 Finals, um, and the style of game there. I mean, you is unrecognizable from what it is today, right? And I mean, that's like such a quick turnaround, um, and. And, it, and I think when we when we start talking about, like, well, what are the trends going to be and, and what is 2030 going to look like? Like, yeah, like maybe we can our, – our best shots are going to be in that, like, 2024 range, 2025 range. Um, but I think we can all basically agree that when it comes to what the actual NBA is going to look like in, in 2030, it's going to be a game that I'm sure none of us can really, like, fully recognize, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I completely agree. I just, I, I still think that as as time goes on, and I know that we'll get more into this, um, you know, later in the pod, but I think that analytics are just going to play a bigger and bigger role. You know, I think that if people have the technology, they're going to use it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, and I, and it's just so interesting. Like, well, what is that going to look like? Like, eventually, does that look like, you know, like legitimately there are no more two pointers from essentially outside the key to the three point line. Like I like, does that ever end? Does it ever come back? Like, like, is it going to take a player? Like, let's say, you know, it goes so outside of the key, but then you have a guy like, you know, maybe like a second generation Shaq or something that like brings the ball back into the hoop. Like, I don't know what that's Mm going to look like. And so to kind of open this back up, like I, I I know when I kind of phrase this question to you guys, um, really, like there was no, hey, let's talk about these specific items on how the game is going to look like. So I'm sure all of us kind of came up with like whether it's players, whether it's style of game, whether it's how the NBA itself is set up, like the actual system. Um, Very open ended. Yeah, it's 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 really open ended, and I think we'll all have different things. Like I have, I have like two big things that I think are going to be different, and like legitimately none of them have anything to do with actual style of basketball. So like I, I think we're all going to have a lot of different things, but. I can kind of kick it off here on um, like one of the biggest influences that I see um, and I think is only going to continue through 20, 2030. Um, and it's, it's really going to be the rise of the international basketball player and their influence within the National Basketball League, right? So I'm going to give you guys a couple of quick... I didn't st- think of that. That's good. Yeah, I'm going to give you a quick, some, some quick stats here, right? So in the, like the 2008 to 2011 year, I did like just averaging it out because I want to list all these years, so... About 70, and these are opening night rosters, right? So, like, obviously throughout the year it changes. Okay. Opening night rosters, about 70 to 73 international players in the league. So that equates to about, like, 15% of the league is going to be, like, of foreign 
um, of like a foreign born nationality, right? So nowadays, as of the 2018, 19, 20 season, we're looking at around like 112 players, which is about 25%. So like, let's say, let's round that up. Let's call that like an even quarter to third of the league now is, is a foreign born player. Right. Um, and, and I think that even of itself shows the, the trend. And I, and I, I think to, to loop this back to style of basketball, I think that European style basketball is, is so much more similar to what we might start seeing now, given back to Michael's point about like, well, okay, let's say this hardened trend continues and we see a lot of like one-on-one stuff, but I, I really think that might phase out as you see almost like that 2015 Warriors type style come back, right? I think that's a very European style of basketball. Um, so you're going to see the style of basketball be more Euro, the players be, excuse me, not more Euro, more international. Sorry, there's just so many European players, right? But whether it's European players, South American players, African players, Asian players from all over the world, I think we're going to see a lot more. Um, so there's all of those things that I've already mentioned. But when you and I and I know we're going to get to this later, but when we talk about the next gen player, right? I mean, I'm sure all of us had as the number one next gen player probably is Giannis Antetokounmpo, foreign born, Luka Doncic, foreign born. I mean, like you list some of these other players that are going to be so important going forward. I mean, Luka. Giannis, Jokic, Porzingis, Siakam. Then you go to the younger guys. OG, and DeAndre Bede, Ayton, Simmons. SGI, yep. Ben Simmons, right? It, like, it, yeah, Siakam. It goes, it goes on and on. And, you know, like, I'm not saying that, like, oh, you know, I, they're now going to take over the league and, and all the best players from now on and, and forever are going to be international players. But I'm saying the influence of the game stylistically and who becomes superstars and the expansion of the, the league is going to be rooted in international basketball, I think. I could not agree more with that. I, I feel like you guys both have thought about that before because of the way Michael nodded when Alex said that. <laughs> I feel like an idiot because I didn't think about that. Um, but I, I guess this is just like such an open-ended question where there's many phases of it to think about. Um, I completely agree with that, Alex. I feel like we're going to get to, you were saying the percentages, probably in 10 years from now we'll get to like probably like 40% of the league will be that way. And then... Agreed. Another 10 years, maybe we get to 50. Um, a couple, the biggest thing, my main point of what I think the league will look like in 10 years is I have a couple points about it. So, what the Rockets are doing this year with PJ Tucker and their small ball lineup, and what the Warriors' death lineup was, the small ball lineup, I think we're going to start to see that be very, like, more like a lot of teams are going to be doing that not just in the playoffs but in the regular season we're going to start to see teams develop players with like it it won't necessarily even be like you have a big you have two wings and three guards or yeah two um guards and three wings because another thing that i think is going to happen is like bigs coming from the draft it's like a guy like Giannis, but if you look back in the past, like a guy like Shaq, all these guys, Shaq is like kind of a, an extreme example, but the bigs coming out of the draft are going to continue to have better and better playmaking skills and ball handling ability to play that point forward type of role where I think, I don't want to say we're going to get, we're not going to see any of anything in the post game because obviously like people will find inefficiencies and stuff they're not doing in the post game can be effective but what we're really going to see is like the type of team that the Rockets are this year not the James Harden ball stopping style but just that size of a team and that switchability 
I think we're going to see that grow more and more, just continue to increase where teams like, and this is another thing I have written down is, I think 10 from years from now, Giannis Antetokounmpo will be a center. Yeah. Um, and I, I know think I rambled right. a lot about that, but um, I have a couple bolder takes that I'll save for later, but are you guys on the <laughs> same page or do you disagree? Let me know. I mean, I definitely agree with that. I think that, and this, this gets to a point that I've been meaning to make for, you know, 30 minutes, is that a guy like Nene, who is consistently... for the listeners. If you look at the stats, if you look at the stats from 2010, who had the best true shooting percentage? Was it Nene? It was Nene. And, and, and he and I don't want to super get into you know what he provided, but someone that is I think six, eight to seven foot, maybe not taller, that can switch, is probably the the best you know positional player currently in the NBA. And, and, so Draymond and Green, maybe not currently, but. Yeah, maybe. In, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Way to bring I, that full circle. You got me there. Draymond Green is you got me there. With three titles. You got, <laughs> you got me there. I I just think in the next five to seven years, players of that size, and I guess Draymond Green happens to fall under that size, will be, you know, the the most important players in free agency and drafts. Um, and moving forward, because in 2025 and 2027, whatever we're looking at, players that can switch, like you said, Brian, players that can play any position, that can even guard a point guard, that can guard a center, uh, will be regarded as, you know, diamonds in the rough. I, I completely agree. Yeah, and I, and I think like when when I think of kind of going off of this like point forward thing, like when I when I think of like the next modern player, um, in terms of body architecture and and kind of play style too and the skills that they have um i i am slowly drawn to pascal siakam kind of almost as that like next guy right like he is i mean we all saw it in the it's more realistic yeah he's like a realistic Giannis, and like Mm -hmm. on a team where Giannis plays the five like why couldn't he just play the play the one or like whatever i I really do feel like the idea of a, a point guard like all of the positions I almost think I, I I would take your guys' take on this too, but like I legitimately think that the idea of like a position essentially is going to be gone. Like in ten years, whatever you think is a position, like when we get to what is going to be an all star, what's going to be all NBA by position, I think all of that will have to be removed. There there will be no difference between what is we a point guard already. and what is a power forward. Like you might yeah. have a difference when it comes to a center. I I could not agree. But like more. nothing in between. So like if you remove the positions then really what you're running is almost like, let's say you have four, six, eight wings and a six eleven center. Like, why not? Like, I really do think that that is what the game is going to move towards. And even if you have a guy like, you know, like a point, like a true point guard, like a, like a Kemba, like a Steph, like a Dame. Okay, well, why, why don't they just play off ball? Now I have like a Ben Simmons type guy. Yeah, like, see, those are three great examples of great off yeah, ball Yeah, they players. can play off ball. Yeah. Steph Curry can play off ball. Like they don't have to run point. Like this doesn't have to be the smallest guy on the team runs point anymore, you know? Yeah, completely. And like look look at the year this year, the 2019-2020 season. We're talking about what we're going to see in 2030, who led the league in assists this year in this flow. LeBron. LeBron. 
So um, I think that's a great point. I had um, a couple like there. It's not really about style of play. It's just like about the NBA. Some like kind of like out of left field bold takes that I wanted to present to you guys. Is that yeah, okay? Hold on, hold on. Let's 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 hear yeah. one of Mike's first, and we'll circle back. Okay, we'll each go one, and then we'll come back. Okay. okay? <laughs> All right, Michael. Give us give us your one. Okay, give us your one I, I appreciate one, I appreciate we'll, we'll the firing off these these more 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 all over the place. So so, uh, so this the, is about the one not big just one. The style of play, right? This is about anything. This is just the NBA okay. in general. Okay. Perfect. So my first big one is I was looking at the uh, average age of players in uh, 2010 versus 2020, and it's not a massive difference. Okay, so. Currently, uh, the median age uh, of NBA players in 2020 is about 26 years old. Okay, in 2010, that median age was much closer to 27. I think that in 10 years, we're going to be dropping down much further. I think it's going to be closer to around 24. Mm. And the reason for that is that I see Adam Silver... Uh, you know, taking that uh, requirement, uh, that age 19 requirement down to age 18, possibly even age 17, uh, so that high school players can go directly from high school to the NBA. Um, and I, I just think that in terms of ease of access, Adam Silver is going to make it easier and easier for younger players, especially those that have special talents, that those that are getting you know recruited widely by Duke and UNC and these massive programs to be able to jump straight into the NBA with a lottery team. So I think that average age is going to go down by at least well, one or two years. Like, let me ask. You, so as as the group, as the like general co- cohort of players gets younger, do you think that actually changes though? what players at what age are impactful, right? Because, like, from what we've seen, essentially the players that are hitting that, like, 27 to, like, 31, 26 to 31 range are really in that prime. Like, do you think that the prime age of the NBA then changes? Because, like, I don't I don't know if, like, still because, right, like, even when it comes to just physiologically, like, your body then is really still not going to hit its peak until probably 26, right? Like that's, I feel like that's usually what it means. So, uh, I'm I'm curious, Michael. Like, do you think that that really is gonna, like, how does that check when we talk about like the best players, right? You usually talk about like so Kawhi's 28 or you know KD's around 30, Steph's around 30. I mean, mm-hmm. LeBron is kind of yeah. an outlier here, but like you know, Dame, all these guys are around that same age, right? So, um, do you think that changes like that group of best players goes lower? I- yeah, I, I, I think that's a great question. In, in truth, I, I think that it'll actually stay similar. Like, I, I would be shocked if players just all of a sudden get better at a faster rate. You know, because that's really what it's looking at. It's looking at will players grow and improve quicker than they have in the past. Because if players are coming in at an earlier age, that means that they would have to improve, you know, in, let's say, three to four years. Um, instead of the three to four years from 21 to you know 25 or whatever it is. I will say this, though. I do think that in terms of, I know this isn't what you're asking, but in terms of ratings, in terms of excitement and all of those things, it increases it tenfold. You know, I think that the younger players usually will have higher jumping abilities and will, and will ha- be 
more willing to risk their body for a great highlight. And so I'm not sure how that contributes to injury risk, you know, moving forward in the NBA. But I do think that in terms of highlights and in terms of, you know, excitement, it should only increase. Um, I to add on, I I'm really glad you guys brought this up because I think like a perfect stace, uh, case study for um, what the like the hypothesis you guys are presenting is like NFL running backs of how NFL running backs are really utilized on their rookie contract when it's more cost effective to the team. And like Michael said, they're in better shape and not have gotten injury. And so what you see is you get, you see teams signing rookie running backs, maybe even undrafted and they can get that um, production, maybe 80 to 75% of what some teams are paying hundreds of million dollars for Ezekiel Elliott or Todd Gurley. So when you look at that with the NBA, the question will come down to the salary cap really is like, are teams going to start valuing because, I mean, I guess what we're talking about really is the skill level going to rise that quickly in young players. And if we are to take of what we've been kind of seeing of people coming into the draft with better shooting abilities and stuff, is if that happens, a lot of NBA players will prioritize those younger players because it will be more cost effective in a league where the NBA, it's so important to pair stars with big contracts. So if you're able to piece together those um younger players and that if that becomes like a factor if like older players are too much money and you can sign some guy to a, a minimum not a veterans minimum because that's a difference in salary cap i think that's very fascinating actually because we've seen that happen just really in the past couple of years in football and completely taken over and i think that's a great point to bring up yeah and i think it's really interesting because like it, it feels i mean and this is the tough part right because it, it really comes down to environment right so like you take a you take a number one draft pick out of high school, right? They have the option then to say, okay, I could go play to and, – and okay, so in 2030, Coach K probably is not coaching anymore. But let's let's say that he is, right? I would hope it's not. It's kind of this weird idea of like, well, what is more valuable to a player, him to go play one year at, at Duke or to then get drafted by Orlando? You know, like I don't know what is like a bad team in the future, but like – Right, like I, I just can't imagine the like, environment. The I mean, Chargers. And, and yes, I, I do understand. <laughs> I don't know. Without Philip Rivers there anymore, I think it's actually quite a nice environment. But I know you guys both are going to get triggered Fuck by you. that, so I'll move on to the next thing. But. I did not like. That. All right, Brian. Brian, I know we want to get to your point, but actually, I want to bring up this point because I think it really relates to the younger player. Um, so I'm just going to throw it in no, here go really for quick. It. Is that I have this fantasy where the NBA. Dude, Tell I'm, us I'm about it. Fantasy right now. Are you ready? I have this fantasy that the NBA starts to mirror European soccer clubs, right? So every team essentially has now a G League team. We have like 28 G League teams, and I think with players not necessarily needing to go to college, right? Because I think we can all safely assume that you can go into the NBA out of high school, maybe even within the next two, three years, probably. Um, and now you see a lot of these papers going to Australia or they're going to Europe. Like, so the NCAA is not college basketball is so goddamn great. This I know sucks. it does suck. Right. But God point being is I think that we're going to see a lot That's of teams gonna happen. like legitimately putting a lot of money into these G league programs so that you can say, Hey, let's bring in this guy. He's just out of high school, but we will teach him to play our style of basketball. He will earn, he will earn an income, be playing professional style basketball at a, at a younger age. But he won't necessarily step onto an NBA floor until again he's still like nineteen or twenty. 
And I think like when teams start investing in this like grassroots level, you start seeing these players that are like, hey, like, well, what's going on on the on on the on the Santa Cruz Warriors? Like, I heard they have this next guy coming based on contracts. Like, they can bring him up. Like, I, I don't know. I kind of I, I have this idea that these the G League will then kind of become that alternate universe um, where we start paying attention, and I think we start looking into who are the best players in the G League. It's it's not guys that just can't get in the NBA. It's about guys who are going to be in the NBA, but they're going to learn from their organization for a year or two prior to. Yeah, I agree. I think the what's going to happen is as soon as the NBA starts to put, they're already putting money into the G League, but until they start to really fund and publicize the G League, that will be the end of college basketball, which sucks because I love college basketball. But what we'll, you'll see happen is that the AAU will just lead straight into AAU and high school basketball. I mean, there's I've heard some cases where AAU is overtaking high school basketball in some places. So AAU to the G yeah. League to the NBA, it could really change how players enter the league. And then I think that, Alex, that's also um, – it ties into this whole younger age thing, you know? Like, Mike, I think Michael said that, but that – if what you're saying – I agree with what you're saying of how the G League becoming more popular. I think that will also contribute to l- younger players contributing well in the league because they're already getting NBA level reps in a way in the G League kind of. I I really like that. I think that <laughs> to to go even further on Alex's point, I could see maybe not in 10 years but in 15 20 years that people you know, in organizations are recruiting, you know, younger players from the ages of maybe 12 on or something like that. No, I think that's such good. That's what I'm talking about. I think you, you you bring them into academies. It's academies. Yeah. It's, it's just like Alex was saying. So you bring them to academies. So basically they have the training facilities. A lot of these centers facilities already exist. And then you bring in, I don't know, some tutors, I'm unsure. But basically, you you bring them in, and they stay with the club until 12 to 18. And, and maybe that actually messes with the draft a little bit, you know? And so maybe it's less of a draft, and, and maybe uh, you can only draft college players. You can only draft players coming out of high school, but you already have your club players, you know, that are coming up that you can bring up at any time. Yeah. Does that make yeah, any sense? Well, because it t- totally makes sense. The NBA used to have a policy like this because the Celtics took Larry Bird with the sixth pick in the 1979 draft, and then he went to play at Indiana State. So mm-hmm. it's going to be some sort of combination of I'm not as familiar as the Premier League or of European soccer as you guys, but it'll be um, fuck. It'll be like um, I just lost my train of thought. No, but like point being, like this could <laughs> I had it. Oh, it'd be like MLB. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. with like uh, yeah, triple A, double A. Yeah, with the farm system. Mm-hmm. All right, Brian, let's hear some of those um, hot takes. Can I, let's go. Okay. Yeah. Everyone will be able to make threes. That's on the court, as we were talking about with all these wings. So much so that the NBA will move back to the three-point line within the next 10 years. I, that's a hot take. Um, Wait, that's so a great we, take. Okay, just answer me this question, okay? Do we or do we not get a four-point shot logo on the court? Um, I don't want to sound like an old person, a boomer, as the kids would call it. A four-point shot is the stupidest fucking thing 
of all time. I will riot if they put in a four-point shot. That is so fucking stupid. What about, if, if that what bad, about a five-point shot? No, there should be none of that. It's basketball. It's not fucking... Like, I, I just don't get the people who really advocate. I mean, I'm not, I don't know if you guys want the four point shot, we got to talk later, but, um, I think, uh, I just don't like the idea of the four point shot. I think though, that what we're going to see is just such an efficiency in three point shooting and teams to continue to take more and more threes where the NBA does try to combat some of it with adding the moving the three point line back similarly to that, how they, when the NBA became too bully ball in the late 90s, early 2000s, they brought in the hand-checking foul rule to increase um, scoring. So I think there will be some sort of balance to that. What do you guys think? I, I mean, I, I think that I think that's really interesting. Um, I definitely could see it going that way. I would say that it's really dependent on players emulating James Harden. And I don't want to get back to, to his style of play, but I just think that if there are more and more players that are taking these step-back isolated threes, then I think that there's no option but to move it back because then at least it makes the NBA either you know more exciting or it, or it forces them to not do that. You know, I think I think the point is to either force players to not take those threes or to force the really, really good shooters to take 40-footers like Steph used to, you know, or, yeah, or still does. The problem with the idea of the three-point moving back is is the repercussions of that, right? So, like, if you move the three back, inherently you have to make the court larger. And if you make the court... Yeah, uh, that's where I ran yeah, into and if, some if you make block. the court larger, then now we have, like, more space than we... Like, right now the court already feels spaced out. As if it's in more space, now you're just watching, like... Guys just run around. That's a very good point. And then it becomes almost like a, a soccer very field. Good point. And like I don't want to see that. If anything, let's bring it in. Let's bring it in. <laughs> let's let's get it tighter together. If anything, that's what I think. I like that. Um, I had one thing that uh, went off Alex's point about international players. I think um, the NBA will have a midseason cup in a foreign country and by 2030 that will be a regular thing it's like a cup um i think that i don't even think that's a hot take i just think that that is bound to happen for the monetary reasons and then like you said it um if they do end up developing the g league maybe some of those players could play in it as well i don't know like zion on your g league team hasn't major isn't well he a guy like him would make the nba right away but something like that a young phenom or something you guys like that? Yeah, I, I think it's something also that's been, I mean, like a midseason tournament. You know, there's been so much talk of a midseason like tournament. Fifteen years in the last, yeah, <laughs> for yeah, way too long. Like two thousand, probably. I, yeah, I I think that some sort of tournament has to happen, but but to actually go off of your point, I think that regardless whether it's not an in-season tournament or a cup or whatever it is, I think that more and more games will be played in a foreign country. Like, I was even considering, when I, when I was looking at this in, in 2030, I was considering maybe, like, a Mexico City, like, team. You know, like a Mexico City team, maybe a second well, we team have, in Canada. You know, Mexico City, right? Well, like, exactly. So, they're laying the groundwork for something that is much larger, and I... I agree with what Alex said way earlier and even 
Brian, what you're saying in terms of more games overseas, I, I could see in the next 10, 15 years having a team even maybe in Europe. You know, like the people from the East Coast to the West Coast are already taking six, seven hour flights. And so it actually wouldn't be that much of an added pressure if you put them in the, in the Eastern Conference. I mean, yeah, and along with all the foreign cities you just named, I think, I mean, I am a betting man, so I would bet that Las Vegas and Seattle have teams in um, 10 years. I think we're going to see it, the agree, NBA agreed. player pool. Like, I guess this we're really coming full so full circle here boys as we're talking about all the international talent getting better and younger players getting better the nba is about to experience a plethora of talent to the likes that it's never seen i think you can really look at like the 93 season and you can look at last year maybe as the two like where just so many stars are out there and so many people have this personal brand so many people are affecting the game where the nba is actually going to be able to expand because Unlike when they expanded in the uh, late 90s and those teams just sucked, they have the player pool now to really expand. And I do think like a city like Vancouver is is on the table. I think Mexico City is on the table. With a, a place like London, it's just like the same thing with the NFL. It's just travel. Um, I don't know how that would work, but I completely Yeah, agree. well, I think the one interesting thing, too, is going to be that um, if – if, and I think we all can safely assume that there will be less NBA games in the season, which then obviously provides that you have a little bit more, yep. you know, a couple of days more of travel. But I really just think that this whole thing, I think what we're talking about here, they all kind of like lead into each other, right? Like if you have players coming into the NBA at a younger age, you know, when it comes to the, the um, medicine and and, and, the, and the tools oh, yeah, yeah. used in the league, like the longevity of the NBA career oh, yeah. is increased. So now you have guys that are probably regularly playing 20-year careers, which means you just have – Lifting I mean, weights. You, it's really going to be like uh, an expansion all around, which means you necessarily can have more teams. You can play more of these tournaments. Um, I, I think that the as the talent in the league increases – I think that it really just like allows for so much variability, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think they're going to get rid of conferences? I had that written down, and I was about to like have that be like a fact, like that's going to happen. But then I remembered that I guess the owners have to vote on it. And if you're an Eastern Conference voter or owner, why would you vote yes on that? Do you think they're going to get rid of conferences? I think I, I, I feel like, like they, they should, definitely should. But it just makes so much sense to not have them. I, I think the only problem, though, like, and again, it, it comes to this, like, travel question. It also comes, like, the Eastern Conference teams being so bad and them wanting to be able to make the playoffs. But, like, you don't even necessarily have to remove the – I think the question is, is, is there a way without ownership approval to not necessarily remove regular season conferences – but, like, remove conferences in the playoffs, right? Because if you can do that, then there's no incentive to have in conferences in the regular season. So, like, if you can somehow remove that mm-hmm. and just say it's really just 1-16, the seating is 1-16, whatever, I'm fine with that. I, I don't know. I think it's really tough. Yeah. But like, you just have to change up the schedule with, like, how often you're playing certain teams, which I think is really doable, um, especially because, like, and- in the 1980s, pl- NBA players weren't, flying on private planes and shit you're flying commercial now it's like like 
flying from Phoenix to Milwaukee, while it is long, it is not shit. They're on private planes with really nice fucking shit. It's not like the worst thing in the world, too. So I do think that makes it doable. I just I just don't see them making it one to sixteen bet records. It'd be so cool. In though, truth, if they did. <laughs> I think it. I mean, I think it. It would probably be better. I, I I just see it being much more likely that they do a play in. You know, so I yeah. I, I I just think that you know seven plays ten, eight plays nine, and it's a one game, and then I think that the playoffs are shortened. I, I I'm I'm a huge proponent of the playoffs being shortened. I think that the first round should be th- best of uh, three, and I think the second round should be best of oh, five. Oh wow, that's extreme! And I'd then say best of five, and then seven and seven. But oh, I, I yeah, I think no, I, I'm going best three, best five, and then we hit conference finals. Seven. You know, seven. Yeah. Finals. Yep, and then final seven. Go five, seven. So I think because because the, I'm so sick of watching Golden State or or. Cleveland or whoever LeBron is on, whoever Steph is on. I'm so sick of watching. I'm just like I'm so sick of watching the best teams in the league beat down on a team that doesn't deserve to be in the playoffs. That's never fucking happened with Golden State because they play in the Western fucking conference and they play all the good teams. I would much. Oh, don't talk about how much Golden State has swept in the playoffs. Like we know they have swept many, many but, like, times. If they were in the East, they would have had an easy schedule. Like if you were, like the argument can, is like if you were to take away, if it was one through sixteen, it would have been easier for the Warriors to make the finals because they would get to play those Eastern Conference teams. No, I understand what you're saying. I'm. I think that my point is that if we're going to keep it conferences, which I'm a proponent of, because I think that the East versus West rivalry is so important to the NBA. It's so important to the history of the NBA. It's so important to what people act like, just regular fans that don't watch a lot of basketball. I think they really care about, like, seeing Boston play L.A. Like, I think they really care about that and like that. Then watching... Let's say Golden State isn't the number one seed. Watching them go against Ja Morant and the Grizzlies in a best of three is just exciting. Like inherently, yeah, but I don't want to see Toronto play Detroit in the first round. I don't want to see it. Anyways, okay, we're gonna get into some other stuff here. Um, and yeah, I know you like that. I know. I know. I don't want to see it. I don't care. Anyways, we're gonna get into. We're gonna get. That's into, an Andre Drummond hate the, right there. The next. Like the next gen top five impactful players, but I just want to say one last thing. Let's switch up the free throw. You know, like we've been doing this whole two free throw thing. Why? I agree. Let's let's maybe we make it three points, but shoot it from one and one. They're all one and one. I I, like maybe you make both. The other team gets like a rebuttal. I don't know, but I I would I would very much like to see it. Because I'm just tired of it. to me. I get no joy out of it. I, I don't care about high-pressure free throws anymore. Half the NBA sucks at free throws anyways. They're missing them. So who cares? Let's do something else. Let's do something else. So anyways, that's my last That's my last piece. I'm going to write a. I'm gonna write Adam Silver. I like that. that. Go off, King. Throw, I, don't, I don't want it. I don't want it. Go off, anyways, King. All right. I went first last time on, on top five. <laughs> Most impactful players. So, Michael Frank, you went last. You're going to start us off. Most impactful players. Go one at a time on one this one. Time. Go one at a time on this yeah. one because I don't think we're going to have to yeah. do four. Yeah, yeah. Go one at a time. Uh, yeah, I'll go one at a time. And, and, and you guys can you guys can either yeah, agree if they're, if they're in our top five or disagree, depending. It's, it's all good. Yeah, we'll move it along a little bit faster. 
All right, go ahead, Mike Frank. Okay. So, number one, I think, is the most obvious. I have to go with uh, Luka Doncic. I, Let's I, go, I, I just Let's think go. that fire me up. So wait, wait sorry, sorry, sorry. So sorry, 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 sorry. in terms wait, of most impactful, are we doing this straight up like one as the most impactful, or are we just giving the top five? Okay, okay. So no, we're giving a ranking. I have a ranking. Okay, great. Yeah, I also have a ranking. Number one is Luka Doncic. That nothing has changed from from your question. Uh, I just think that. In terms of Luca's age and where he currently is, His skill set. Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, he has to be at least a three-time MVP in the next ten yeah. years. I, I, I would be shocked if he did not win two championships, three MVPs. I mean, the obvious question that comes up, like Alex, that I know you're thinking, is like, how is Giannis not number one after the dominance we've yeah. seen? He is my number one. He, he's I'm my number two. About I have Luca at one just because of Luca's shooting ability, and I really think that the the um, the Dallas Mavericks are set up to have a dynasty this decade with the combination of Kristaps Porzingis, and I do think the Bucks have kind of fucked up with what they've built around Giannis. And I know I sound like a douchebag because the Bucks <laughs> are like fifty-eight and whatever they are, but I'm just saying that Chris Middleton's not good enough to be the second best player on a championship team. That is the right call, and Giannis, I, I don't want to get into his decision-making or how he's going to spin free agency. I am a little worried Warriors, buddy. He, he will pick the wrong team, and he will be stuck on a best Eastern Conference, second-best Eastern Conference team that loses in uh, the Conference Finals and the Finals every okay, year for I'm the next six years. Happen, so... Yeah, tap in. Killer instinct. Okay, he does not have it. That. That. I think you guys I mean, are wrong about a couple things. Don't attach me to that. Don't attach me to that. One, I think that... I just like the shit. One, so I have I have Giannis as my number one. I have Luca as my number two. And I mean, and, and I think we're talking about pennies here in terms of differences, right? But I think yeah. that... that yeah. yeah, yeah and I, th- I think players. that Giannis has the absolute ability to be the most dominant player in the NBA for a very long time. And I think that's because, one, his body is insane. His will to win is insane. And I think that the ability for him to learn... The dude like started playing basketball like seven years ago. Luka's been playing basketball since he came out the womb. <laughs> like, why, why can't Giannis be like Kawhi? Why can't he develop a jump shot in the NBA? I think that's totally feasible. And, 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 and for what he has the ability to do, like... Um, I just really do. and and I I think that you guys are wrong. I think that the Bucks have a had and maybe will have depending on how the season ends a legitimate chance to win the championship. And if Chris Middleton wants to be the number two guy, I'm fine with that. But whatever. Yeah, okay, we all have the same top two. I'm assuming, <laughs> right? So Michael, well, back to you for number three. Yeah. Alex, you're so wait. Also, can I, I jump in? I Alex did. is just fucking killing it yeah. right now. The way he is mediating this and holding in his hatred for us. <laughs> he is. Hey, cheers to you, King. Who would have thought? Thank not you, me. Thank yeah. you. I've been watching a lot of, I've been watching a lot of Cuomo I, Brother videos, I do. so I'm like really on top of it. Dude. Those videos, the one that's trending on Twitter right now, the question of like, are you going to run for president? And they just keep saying no. Fucking hilarious. So good. Uh, okay, I got to say this. Uh, this is a formal apology. To Giannis, 
onto Takumbo for saying he does not have a killer instinct. That's not true. I feel bad. He does have a killer instinct. I'm just concerned. Yeah, I'm concerned about his clutch factor more. I'm more concerned about his clutch factor where I've seen Luka hit a number of clutch shots already um, in the first two years. Yeah, Giannis has missed them in high stakes games, though. So. Okay, let's. Uh, if Big Dogs just listen <laughs> okay, to this, as no. a, res- a resident Bucks fan, just fired up probably right now. I love Big Dogs. <laughs> yep. I'm sorry. Uh, I will go number three. So, number three and uh, most influential. And this is it's pretty contingent on his health, but it is Zion yes, sir, I Williamson. Three as well. I have him at four. Who do you have at number three? Jason Tatum. I think Jason Tatum is going to be a. I do have him on my extended list. I have him on my extended list. I don't see why he would not be in the top echelon of players going forward. It's it's in. I think he's going to average thirty points a game from twenty twenty to twenty thirty. Would you have said that at the beginning of this season in the off season? You wouldn't have said that. But like he is just yeah. No no no. I've had stock in in Jason Tatum for a while. Yeah, you it, bought it early or what, Brian? I, uh, I bought a lot of Jason St- Tatum stock very early in his rookie season. I thought he should. I thought he was better than both Donovan Mitchell and Ben Simmons in that year. I didn't think he was ever going to win the rookie of the year, but I just thought he was a better player going forward. I just think with Jason Tatum, I mean, he like. No offense to Giannis and Luka Doncic fans. I thought about Jason Tatum like with those two guys because of what he can be when he is at his best he is a wing that can score 30 points a game and play great defense and has shown better playmaking skills and you're right Alex I was worried coming into this season because of what we saw last year we didn't really see that but this year has been a giant breath of fresh air where we saw we've seen him develop and come out I just think with his skill set his size I mean and pairing him with Jalen Brown the sky is the limit for him and I mean I obviously understand Zion he's my four I I injuries just kind of scare me a little bit I guess do you are you guys not as high I on mean, I mean obviously not as high on Jason Tatum as I am but do you see that potential in Tatum yeah so I I definitely do but I had this like so I have this like weird thing kind of going on on my list over here where like my my four is like four different guys and I I'm gonna I'm gonna give you that list <laughs> or it's, it's it's three it's no it's four yeah. it's four okay sorry, let's sorry. go because I don't know which one it's going to be, but I think we're going to have like a cross-decade player, but I don't know exactly which one it is yet. And I would feel remiss mm-hmm. if I didn't include like one of these superstars on a list. So whether that's going to be James Harden, Kawhi, okay. Anthony Davis, or Kyrie, or one of these guys, like one of them, I mean, all of those dudes are like in their low 20s. Davis is a good and, call. And I think it's just like... Davis, it, yeah. When we look at championships, right? Like, like think about it. I mean, look at our look at our first list, right? Our top four that were all locks were all significant championship winners. So when you look at from now until twenty twenty four, like, is Luca going to win a championship from now to twenty twenty four? I don't know. Is Giannis? I think he has a better chance, right? But like, Kawhi could win a championship next year. Anthony Davis could. I mean, when 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 the when the Nets mm-hmm. get good again. Like, who's to say sure. that Kyrie doesn't play another eight solid years of basketball? So, <laughs> it's going to be one of those guys. So, yeah. my four, <laughs> I know this is going to sound insane. So, my four is just one of those, and my five was Jason Tatum. So. Okay. I like that reasoning. Um, 
Mike, go ahead and give your because you had a uh, what do you have yeah, a four, Mike? You guys want to hear my yeah. four? Yeah, so my four, <laughs> it's it's a little bit of a recency bias, but it's someone that in terms of this season before uh, it got postponed or you know halted, someone who I really could not stop watching and who I was just impressed with beyond belief is Brandon Ingram. Oh, I like that. That's a wild card. I like that. So. Yeah, so I have <laughs> Alex's face is, is showing a, a different I mean, feeling talking, towards Brandon Ingram picking. But impactful players of the decade. Yeah, I didn't think about him, but I, I must. I support you, no, Mike. Okay, I support so, you. That's what I do. I'm just okay. Nice so, so I'm just you guys are drunk. I'm just. You guys I appreciate drunk. that. See, I appreciate you, and I appreciate that. <laughs> I just think I just think that Brandon Ingram in in terms of leaps and bounds that have been made in the last 24 months he is someone that this season has come in and played against top teams and been the best player on the floor in that game both teams whatever like he has outplayed the top players in the NBA you know at least I would say 50% of the he time a little more defensively offensively I, I, yeah, I agree, but I do think that the league is moving in a more offensive direction regardless. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a wing that is long and that can grow even more into his body, like Brandon Ingram can and can get stronger. I don't you have him over Tatum. Will, I like the pick. I just the Tatum needs to be better. Than him. I, I, I just truthfully think that Brandon Ingram can score, score at a higher clip than Jason Tatum. Okay. Like, I... I Okay. Really believe that. I think Jason Tatum has the defensive edge, and he, I think he has the clutch edge currently. But I just think that as Brandon Ingram grows and hopefully plays on better teams that make the playoffs, I think that we'll see him making more clutch shots. I think we'll see him making the plays down the stretch, even in a team that has other mm-hmm. good players. I'm I'm super high on Brandon Ingram. I when you watch him play games especially this season you you see him play against lebron and he's going back and forth even for a five minute period you see that the potential is off the charts and in comparison to last year and two years ago he has made leaps and bounds in his in his growth i agree with that big time alex you had uh tatum or no you had uh that selection at four of harden Kawhi, and davis and then you had tatum at five correct. correct Yep. Okay, so I had Tatum at three, Zion at four. Should I? I'll give my fifth pick, and then Michael, you can give yours. Yeah, I had Nikola Jokic at five. Um, <laughs> I really love him. I um, I was toying with him or Embiid or John Morant for the spot. Um, and I just think that Jokic, while he does lack defensive prowess, I think his passing in his offensive game is. It's really a sight to see. I just love watching him play, and I think um, he's going to be coming into his prime at a good time for this decade. And I do think that the Nuggets have a good coach and could potentially put together a winning squad down there, which obviously, as we saw in the 2010 to 2020, the championships are really reflective in who was dominant in this uh, era, which is why I like Alex's pick of like Anthony Davis there at four. Um, but I just I like Jokic. Um, I leaned on him over Embiid because of uh, injury concerns. Yeah, I think that's a good pick. I I so I also had Jokic at five, but I do want to give a corollary 
uh, I had a corollary, a, a trade corollary, that basically said if either Devin Booker or Carl Anthony Towns gets traded to a better team, they would jump to number five. I feel that way about Ben Simmons. Yeah, and I think I was about to start saying I, that. Yeah. Like, there's definitely the players. Like, I, I think, Mike, you already brought up two of them, right? Like the D'Angelo Russells, um, Cat, Simmons, Embiid, Booker, uh, Donovan Mitchell. Um, like the the list really kind of goes mm-hmm. on. Point, DeAndre yeah. Ayton. Like, like there's so many guys that like obviously we're not going to be able to nail it all down. Like R.J. Barrett, RJ Barrett maybe. Trey Young steps up, right? None of us mentioned yeah. John Morant. Um, I obviously it's going to be so up in the air, but I think that's that's obviously what makes it so exciting, right? Like that's it's the reason probably we all like basketball so much is that it's, it's this idea that the the next guy, the next guy up. Like you don't know. Like no one, no one thought it was Steph, right? Like no one. Yeah, no one would have guessed Steph. Yeah, and Kawhi I mean, like in yeah, and Kawhi is such a great example. Like yeah, everyone's the dudes in the NBA after the dude even won a championship. People were like, "This isn't the guy," right? Um, dude, the dude got traded for Demar Derozan and Jakob Pertl. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's insane. A, yeah. And and I think that it's just it's. It's going to be really weird. I mean, like, we're going to look back on this and, and really think to ourselves, wow, that age of run and gun three point, like, maybe that's fully phased out. Like, I, I mean, like, we, we say all of these things, mm-hmm. we have all these opinions, but at the end of the day, like, the, the next best knows? player, I mean, at the end of the day, the next yeah. best player, whoever that's going to be, is going to be the one to set the tone, right? Like, we've seen it over and over again. It's that next guy who's going to say, this is actually the style of basketball that I play, and now I'm going to change the whole league, and you guys are going to force to follow, or I'm going to win every championship yeah. for the next 10 years. Like, what if we get a mix of Shaq exactly. and Wilt? And it's like, oh, the post-up game is bad. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I, I think the, I think the Shaq, the Shaq comparison is the big one for me. If, if we just get one completely dominant big man. Everyone has to be able to guard him. Exactly, and so then you'll need centers, you'll need power forwards, you'll need guys that are, you know, above six ten in order to even above six ten, above two eighty, whatever it is, you know, to be able to even combat whatever Dude, that shack like, like so big man can you do. Look at like, the, the videos of these like seventh graders, and like, yeah, they're all like six eleven for some stupid reason, <laughs> but yet they all can dribble like Kyrie and jam out, and you're like, I don't understand, like. Like, okay, there's more of you somewhere hiding. Like, why can't I have a, a starting five of everyone is 6'10"? Everyone can dribble. That's what's happening. That's what's going to fucking right, happen, boys. I swear to God. Before That's we wrap up this see. basketball section I... right here, okay, last, <laughs> la- final thoughts. Final thoughts on, on, on anything that we've talked about so far. From 2010 to 2020 to 2030, whatever you want. What, what's, what's your final, final point? I have... So we're going to do this final point, and then we'll wrap up we with the strokes. We're going to wrap up with the strokes. Perfect. Um, my final point is that um, I had this written down, and I didn't know if I was going to say is I think that there's a chance LeBron James will still be playing in 2030. Wait, is this a, a look? Are we talking about not actual LeBron James, or are we talking about LeBron James Jr.? Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm saying, like, LeBron James. Cryogenic. Cryogenic. In my worst-case scenario, <laughs> LeBron's going to be playing in 10 years still. <laughs> it's gonna be like a Tom Brady situation, and uh, I just I didn't want to. Probably won't, but I can't rule it out. 
I'm down, honestly. He's like a player I, I coach. I really like, like that. He's like 12th guy <laughs> off, but is is the coach like, and and he's the GM coach, and owns so. the team and also is the commissioner of the NBA. Like, fine, sign me up. I mean, he could he could be the first player coach since Bill Russell. I actually could see that yeah, happening. He did it with Ty Lue, so anything's possible. Uh, don't disrespect Ty Lue like that. I will disrespect Ty Lue all fucking day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I'm going to give my, uh, my, my last words, last will and testament here. Um, number one, shout out to all the kids that are not 6'10 in middle school and high school. You're doing the good work. You're playing the other sports. Cross-country, baby. Let's go. And you, 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 you still have that, that cross-country and track uh, badminton club value. You still have that value. Also, if you're like so shout out to you. You're playing center um, on the, your high school team. Like you're out too. Like you gotta be. You gotta be that six ten point guard. Okay, sorry. Keep going. <laughs> I agree with that. And then the second thing is, and it's not something that we've talked a lot about, but I do think that. Within the next five to seven years, there's going to be a guy from a second-tier college, third-tier, you know, D3 college that's going to come into the league and light it on fire. I think that we've seen it. Um, Curry. With, for example, like Curry right. and Damian Lillard. You know, people, and yeah, and McCollum, and, and, and people that, you know, went to these colleges that are not regarded as basketball institutions and, and not our, <laughs> not our, you know, uh, NCAA tournament bound every year. You know, they're playing in the NIT and worse. And I think there's going to be at least one or two of those guys in the next three to three to five, five to seven years that just averages 25 points a game. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you on that. Um, You guys want to move it on to the strokes or Alex, do you have any final, final thoughts? Thought, man, get rid of the free throw. Like, I, okay, anyways. All right. Um. Okay, so so the, the the last part of this pod, right? We uh, at at twelve oh one on April tenth, twenty twenty, the Strokes released their first full length album since twenty thirteen. So, which puts us at seven years. Like, and which it wasn't, wasn't the best good, album. Too, so. Wasn't the best album. In between that, agreed. We do have Future Present Past, which out of the four songs on the EP. To not like any of them, but Thread of Joy was great. No, no. Thread of Joy? Thread of Joy? Thread of Joy was really good. Thread of Joy, okay. Sorry, sorry. Um, So this is like the first album where I think a lot of people were like, okay, the Strokes are back. Um, It's not like we haven't had Strokes music in a really long time, right? Like, I know, Brian, we were talking about this earlier. Like, whether you're listening to Albert Hammond Jr. or more specifically The Voids, um, you still get a lot of what is that stroke sound between those two guys, like especially Albert Heyman Jr. Like mm-hmm. you listen to Albert, like it sounds just like the Strokes. Yeah, yeah, it's, cause the, it's, guitar. The, it's the guitar. Yeah, but when you listen to the Void, you're like, okay, obviously I'm still getting the the Stroke vibe because it's it's Julian and his voice is insane, right? So, anyways, we all listen yeah. to the album. I think I listened to it three times all the way through today and watched like a mini documentary on it. So same. same. Um, I don't know. I'll kind of open up the floor on like general thoughts. I know, like, based on the articles I read today, right? Like, Rolling Stone liked it a lot, gave it a four and a half. Pitchfork hated it, said the strokes are lazy, tired, and they're not making music that sound like them anymore. 
Pitchfork. What was it? Three? Fuck three out of five? What was it? Pitchfork. No, what was, what was Pitchfork? Five point seven yeah. out of ten. Was, was not loving it. So I'll, oh, I'll open up to okay. you guys. And, like a lot of the songs have already been released, right? So like I think out of like the eleven mm-hmm. songs, like three or four of them had already been released as singles. Plus, even the one that hadn't been released as a single, which is Ode to the Mets, had been posted on YouTube as like the coming out. We're releasing an album, and that came out earlier in the year. So oh, really, a lot of the uh, honestly, like half the album I had already heard right going into it. Um, but I'm going to just start it off really with this point. Um, one of my favorite parts in the entire album is the beginning of Ode to the Mets. When you get to the very end, it starts off with this electronic, like boom, boom, boom. And you almost have this, this first reaction of, wow, this album is going to end with like this new age sound, this electronic sound. Um, but then that, that first kick fades away into the guitar and then into just the guitar, Julian Casablancas. Um, and it was like one of the more nostalgic songs, I think for me, at least on the whole album, uh, where I'm thinking to myself, that song was basically the stroke saying, Hey, we could make, we can make a music that sounds like what music is being made today. And we also could whip out an album that sounds just like formation and the modern age if we really wanted to, but we're not going to do that. And, and I think that that was like that, this really yeah. cool feeling that I had of like, they could do it any way they want it. Um, Rick Rubin was involved in this album. So like, it definitely had a little bit of a different feel there. I think that we all Let's go. could feel that a little bit, but like, um, I don't know. I'll open up to you guys, but that was like the, the biggest point to me, like that, that like 30 to 40 second intro to that final track. Um, I, I felt was really impactful. Yeah, I felt like what was really cool to see was um, we got to see, like, the Julian of the last 10 years through, like, what we've seen with The Voids and some of his solo performances. We got to see that combined with Albert Hammond Jr. and The Strokes. So, like, we got to see the like what made The Voids so great and what Julian was doing that in that in terms of, like, the falsetto he was singing and stuff. We got to see that added to that great Stroke sound. Um, to me, like a song like Selfless, I thought was incredible. Ode to the Mets, obviously. Um, and then Bad Decisions, which is obviously reminds us of uh, <laughs> Dancing with Myself by Billy Idol. And then even a little I'll Stop the World and Melt with You by is that Bowling for Soup, I think. Um, I, I really enjoyed the album. I don't understand. I don't get like music critiquing. And I know it's weird because I like I worked for a radio station, but like, like who the fuck like gets to tell Julian Casablancas and the Strokes that their album's a 5.7 out of 10. Like, who is that guy at Pitchfork? Like, what the fuck <laughs> have you done? Like, who are you? And so it's just like, that's why it's like kind of hard for me to talk about music sometimes because it's like, who am I to give this uh, critique on it? I um, I really like this album. It's fucking awesome to have the Strokes back. It was leaked that they're supposed to ha- headline Outside Lands this year, but that probably won't happen or happen in August. So, um... But I liked it, Mike. What do you think? So, I, yeah, as as well as you guys, I also listened to it a few times today. Um, the, the bad decisions, <laughs> just dancing with myself. Comparison is pretty funny, actually. If you listen to them back to back, it is hard not to laugh, and it's it's hard not to think. Okay, they did it as a tribute, or at least they they, they knew did, exactly they did, what uh, they were doing. Right, Alex, they credited them on the album. Did they? Did they credit them? 
Okay, that's good to know. Um, I would say as a whole, it's it's interesting. I watched so I watched the movie Sing Street last night. I got to get a little movie uh, information in. And it, if you guys have seen Sing Street, it's about you know a group of Irish kids that start singing uh, '80s music. They form a band and start singing '80s music. And I thought that the thing that I really loved about this album so far, uh, and and what I've listened to, and and I think that it'll you know grow and change as I listen to it more and more, is that nostalgic feeling of of the music that they're making. You know, I, I could hear so many 80s songs built into the album mm-hmm. um even when i even when you know i was listening to it out in the garage today and and my dad hopped out and he literally thought it was an 80s band like he he because he doesn't know the strokes he just thought that it was a, a band from 20 30 years ago uh and actually i really like that and i thought it was actually kind yeah, of and special and, and like kind of unique two points is, is this album felt so and, and I don't, I'm going to say this word and I, and I don't mean it in a disrespectful way, but it felt so like nonchalant as it, as if like the stroke said, you know what though? Like, I mean, I'm sure you guys have read about this. Like the, it seemed like the band was not on the closest of terms over the last decade. And I think part of that is because they have so many side mm-hmm. projects going on. Um, but it felt like this idea of like, Hey, don't you ever dare think that we're not the strokes. At any point that we want to come make an incredible album that we like or you like as fans, like we can do either of those things. And I think that was like this. There's this point mm-hmm. in again in Ode to the Mets when that electronic fades away, the guitar comes in, then there's you can hear Julian and he does it live, but then which surprisingly he does it on the on the record itself too. He says, "Hey Fob, can you can you get the drums in?" Then the drums come in, and it was like this weird thing of like. Yeah, we're here. We're in the studio. Like we're just gonna, we can make an album because we're the we're the Strokes. And I, and I just I I really love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's star power. power. And it was and it was awesome. And it was and mm-hmm. and it's funny because when they, you know, did the live version of that song, the crowd was chanting um, angles. And and Julian says to the crowd, he's like, I don't know what angles <laughs> is. Um, we're gonna play a new song. And it was like this weird thing of like. You ha- you already have all of that music. Let us show you something else. And then when it, when they play Ode to the Mets, it's like mm-hmm. it's it's this like tribute to the music they were making prior to, and it's like a tribute to New York. It's it's a I don't know. It's it's a really yeah. cool thing. And long story short, I th- I think we all I think, I think we all love the point. album. I mean, I think we'll all be listening to it for a very long time. Um, the the. Uh, the music video for what's the song? New door, open door, the door, at the door, at the door is one of the legitimately the coolest music <laughs> videos I've door. seen probably in the last like five years. Um, I need to check that out. It is just absolutely out. insane. Yeah, the, same. Uh, the time and creativity that goes into that music video. So definitely everybody go check that out. Um, but that's that's all I got on that, boys. Yeah, um, I, it's it's just great to have the Strokes back. Um, I think we can all agree on that, guys. This has been a, a fantastic episode. Um, Alex, kudos to you running the point guard on tonight's pineapple couch. Michael, a real treat to have you on for the first time, and we hope to be seeing more of you in the future. Michael, go ahead and plug your Twitter and your blog because I didn't say that in the beginning. 
Yeah, all good. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, PeachFuzzCritic. Uh, it's the same blog, PeachFuzzCritic.com. Mostly movies and uh, TV, but hoping to talk a little more sports yeah, uh, well, down the road. definitely open to that. And um, Alex, as always, uh, you can plug yourself too, but always a pleasure talking Loved to both it, of you. Loved it, guys. I'll see you on April 10th, 2030 to circle back on all of these things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Appreciate um, it. And then, yeah, this has been the Pineapple Couch. Um, stay tuned. We're going to keep doing more episodes like this. Um, and we're going to be breaking down each episode of the Michael Jordan documentary that is coming to ESPN on April 19th. And I'm sure these, well, I know one of these two fine gentlemen will be with me. And I hope the other will be as well. Um, thank you for listening so much. You can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Have a great weekend. Yeah, weekend, because it's going to be released tomorrow morning on Saturday. Uh, Love you guys. Love you, Alex. Love you, Michael. Um, I guess I was going to say go Bolts, but I I could say go Colts. See ya.